0: Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan and this is 112BK coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. The U.S. women's national team came home victorious from the FIFA World Cup in France. Bitch better have their money.
1: The problem is if you tie their pay to their success in this way, like say only the women who are more successful than the men deserve to be paid more, then what does that mean for every other woman in sports?
0: Maybe you heard that the U.S. won the World Cup earlier this month. In case I need to qualify that, I'm talking about the Women's World Cup. The United States men's team didn't even qualify for their World Cup. And, in fact, on the very day the U.S. women's team defeated the Netherlands to win their fourth championship, the U.S. men's team lost to Mexico in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. So to recap, the U.S. women's soccer team is the best in the world by a lot. And the men's team also exists. You would think the players on one of these teams would be paid a lot more than the other. Well, you'd be right, but not in the way that makes sense. Here to discuss gender pay equity in sports are Natalie Weiner, a staff writer at SB Nation. Welcome to 112BK. Thank you. And we're also joined by Lauren Betters, an attorney and the director of programs and policy at the Gender Equality Law Center. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So the U.S. women's national team sued because they are paid less than the men's national team. Is that
1: right? How much less are they paid? The exact number, it's a little bit complicated because <laughs> the lawsuit, it tackles differences in pay, but it's also about differences in treatment, kind of the benefits that they're getting from U.S. soccer as a whole. And it's also tricky because the women negotiated their pay, right? So they they signed the collective bargaining agreement. They mm-hmm. agreed to the pay that they received, just like the men. Like, sports all over America, every player is part of a union, basically, and so they negotiate their pay. But the difference is mostly in the bonuses that they receive, um, and they win a lot more. So the bonuses, as you said, you know, they're a vital part of it.
0: Yeah, I guess let's back up because I don't actually understand how professional athletes are paid outside of, like, signing a yearly contract. You get bonuses for winning? Is that right right?
1: Yeah, you do. And it's like... It, differ, it differs a little between leagues, um, and the thing that the U.S. women's national team specifically is addressing is their U.S. soccer salary. They're also paid by the National Women's Soccer League, which is the national league where they play for different clubs across the country, you know, like the Seattle Reign that kind of thing. Got it. So there's two different revenue streams there for each player, and it's the same for the men. The difference is MLS salaries are exponentially higher than National Women's Soccer League salaries. The maximum salary for National Women's Soccer League, I was just looking at this, it's like $46,000 or something, you know, and that's wow. for, for the season. So it's really very minimal. So the members of the U.S. Women's National Team took on a higher guaranteed salary than the men because they're making so little with their um, with their club teams. So they get a higher guaranteed salary, but they have lower bonuses, like substantially lower. And that's where you're seeing all of these companies chime in and say, "We're going to try and close that gap." Like, Luna Bar Mm -hmm. contributed, I think, thirty thousand per player, and they and
0: Gamble, right, just stepped in with a huge amount of money. Which, honestly, like, okay, great, good for these companies, but, like, it's super fucked up. Yeah, like, this yeah. is not a system where that we should be dependent no, on private no. corporations to close a pay gap. Like, also, where are they with every other industry? Right, right. I, I don't think that we're going to see that. Uh, necessarily.
2: And I think I saw, too, the um, percentage that uh, Natalie was talking about, too. When you break down the numbers, it looks like about 38 percent that the Mm -hmm. women are getting in in comparison to their similarly situated men's team.
0: Right. Right. So I know that the WNBA has been waging a similar fight for pay equity, right? Like, I think the first-round draft pick for the WNBA signed a contract for $55,000, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. as compared to, you know, what an NBA player makes. But the argument in that case, right, is, oh, well, nobody goes to see WNBA games and the NBA, the men's basketball, you know, brings in tons of money in terms of, like, you know, merchandise and tickets and all that. So what do you say to people who make that argument? I mean, in this context,
2: when we're talking about the U.S. soccer, you know, um, U.S. soccer team for the women in these cases, um, it's just not the case. The U.S. Soccer Federation conceded that in the prior years, the women's team did bring in more revenue and more profit than the men. And when you look at those numbers, that's what we're seeing. But it is a common opposition in this argument that you hear. And I think that it gets to the root of how women are viewed in society and the gender discrimination that takes place in sports. Um, And what's really at the root of that is the investment in promotion and marketing towards women's teams versus men's teams, in which really does have an impact on the revenue that you see coming in. You know, you have two different teams and you heavily invest in marketing and promotion of one and very little in the other one does not have to be an expert to figure out that the right. more invested one is going to produce you know more ticket sales more merchandise so i think that the root of this case and the root of um, moving along in these uh, pay equity issues in sports is really equalizing the investment and promotion and market and
0: marketing around these. Sure. I mean, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Mm -hmm. right, where they're like, well, nobody wants to go see the WNBA or the professional women's soccer league, which I didn't even know existed until five (laughs) minutes ago. And so if people aren't going, then they're like, well, why would we invest more money in, in marketing? And is that part of the lawsuit that the U.S. women's national team is bringing against U.S. soccer?
1: I mean, yeah, because they're considering this like overall treatment issue. And I think investment is a part of the negotiating that they're like. It's all it's all tied together. Mm -hmm. You know, like if they're getting better coaches, better transportation like that all feeds into this like investment idea. Mm -hmm. But I think it's such a crucial distinction because you see all these tweets like when the women won for example, and they're like, well, they won. Why They should obviously be paid more. And the problem is if you tie their pay to their success in this way, like say only the women who are more successful than the men deserve to be paid more, then what does that mean for every other woman in sports? It comes down to this question of investing and really like fundamentally acknowledging that women in sports have much higher barriers to entry at every single tier and that the systemic discrimination against them is so entrenched mm-hmm. that like to overcome it, it's more than just a question of even like, okay, equalizing the bonuses is going to like, that'll be a good, a good start. You know, like that's that's a, that'll be a nice thing, but that's like one tiny element of this entire broken system. When we talk about the WNBA players opting out of their CBA um, because they're Getting like you said, this paltry pay. It's like they're confronting this issue head on because everybody's saying, "Well, you're not going to get paid the same as the NBA players," and that they all know that they're never going, they're not going to be paid the same. You know, right. so they're not demanding equal pay. But it's like that's such an easy catchphrase to attach to what they're doing that. It does get attached. Then people get mad because they're like, you don't get to make as much as LeBron makes, which is like, "Okay, whatever. Um, But But they're
0: asking for um, a similar percentage of revenue. Yes. Right. Sure. The NBA generates a lot more revenue than the WNBA. But when you look at percentage of that revenue that goes towards salaries, the NBA is significantly higher than the WNBA.
1: The first few years, of the WNBA, there was it was all systems go at the NBA. Like there were national nationally televised games. Two to three times a week for the entire season. And it was really successful, like more successful than anybody thought it would be. And that lasted for the first couple seasons. But then the return on that investment didn't happen as fast as sponsors wanted, as fast as anybody, as fast as the league wanted, really. And so the enthusiasm tapered off and then it kind of hit this lull. But obviously the players are just getting better and better and better. Like the quality of play, because like the pipeline is getting more established, like, you know, for girls to go all the way through the ranks and reach the WNBA. So the play has never been better, but it's just like the money didn't come as fast as they were hoping. And so they just kind of stopped investing and then the interest tapered. So,
0: right. A lot of this gets at the idea of equal pay for equal work. And Lauren, Mm -hmm. maybe you can talk to us about what equal work means cuz it yeah. seems like there are many different ways to measure work what is the legal definition of this yeah
2: sure so the you know the US women's team filed their lawsuit and they're making two claims. One claim is under the Equal Pay Act, which um, a lot of this conversation and this issue has kind of centered there. The other claim is under Title VII. These are both federal laws that protect employees in the workplace. The first from pay discrimination based on their gender um, and other uh, protected classes, race, et cetera. Um, And the Title VII protects them from basic gender discrimination in the workplace. So at the federal level, equal pay for equal work, what the court is going to look at is the use of comparators. So in this case, it's the men's team that the U.S. women's team is suggesting that they use. Um, Here they are going to have to make out, right, that the uh, soccer federation is the common employer, that they have the similar and same um, requirements and obligations to perform the same type of work. They're going to look at things like how many games they play, what types of games they play, the training, the travel, um, promotion, the marketing. But, you know, I think a lot of the facts that will come out are women being subjected to play on artificial turf, where the Federation, you know, grew natural grass, even in the same venues that the that the women played in. They invested on. in sod right. for the right. men.
1: <laughs> and it seems <laughs> like such like, a minor issue, but that goes into injury prevention. Yeah, but have you ever like slid like, you know, on astroturf? Yeah. yeah.
2: It subjects players to injuries. Um, it changes the fundamentals of the game on, on artificial turf. So it's, you know, those are things that um, they're going to look at in this case. And One of the great things about New York and New York City is, you know, these are federal laws. But at the state level, we have just recently passed legislation in New York that lowers that standard equal pay for equal work to a lesser standard of substantially similar work. So Mm -hmm. it allows you to kind of make those comparisons a little bit easier because trying to find that exact comparator is a little bit um, difficult.
0: So this is um, from... Section 194 of the labor law, and I'm actually not sure if that's federal (laughs) or state that I pulled this from, Um, but it says that it prohibits employees from being paid less than an employee of the opposite sex for equal work that requires equal skill, effort, and responsibility. However, there are sort of differentials that can click in. Um, One is a seniority system, so that's okay, you know, for different pay. A merit system. And then the third one is a system which measures earnings by quantity or quality of production. And that seems so squishy and nebulous to me Mm. because there might be, um, for example, if we're talking about jobs that require uh, manual labor or the use of a body, there might be fundamental differences in quantity or quality of production. So how can you get around this? I mean, this is the classic example, right, of like women being firefighters. Mm -hmm. And should we pay them Uh, the same as a male firefighter if they can even pass the test, which they probably can't because women are weaker than men. Right. (laughs) So what how do you how do you deal with this quantity or quality of production when it comes to gender discrimination? Yeah.
2: So great question. Um, And those that you listed off and the fourth factor, um, I don't think you read, but it's the one that most lawyers and these cases hang on or any other factor other than sex, which is kind of this
0: catch-all category. Education, training, or experience, which obviously yeah. <laughs> have nothing to do with gender or sex. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: yeah, but the production question is interesting, and all of those are exclusions from the law. So right. they, if the Federation can prove that their pay disparity is based on one of those, and the production, which, as you laid out in your intro, just is going to fall flat in this case. I mean, clearly the women's team are completely leading in this industry. And, I mean, they just, Rapino just won the gold boot and the gold ball and Lavelle with the silver ball. And, I mean, they just completely crushed the tournament and have been performing on fire on the field for decades. So in terms of their case, I think that that's not going to be a sticky point. Um, where we see it in our work you know, when clients come to us with pay disparity issues, you know, an employer would say, well, we're not paying her differently because she's a woman, but she's not producing the same quality of material as her male counterpart. Um, And we would obviously make, you know, our arguments against that.
3: Uh, Could you give me your name again?
4: Darren. Darren. Yep. Um, So controversial topic. Women's sports versus men's sports. Sure. The women's sports that I watch are, I think, the ones that are more analogous to men's in terms of the way the game is played. It's like tennis, tennis, I think, is, is very similar to the men's game. Soccer is very similar to the men's game. Volleyball, I think, is very similar to the men's game.
3: Okay. And uh, I, I noticed basketball is not on that list.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I don't find the, the level as competitive or, or the athleticism as exciting or interesting. Okay. Um, so I, I don't follow it as much.
0: There's um, a sociology professor, Rachel Allison, who has written a book about women's soccer. And she makes this argument that there is a perception that female athletes don't work as hard as male athletes. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of this comes back to female bodies versus male bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm thinking about when you talk about comparing the women and men's team, obviously the women are performing better at an international level. But I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, if you compare... The uh, timed mile that Megan Rapino could run versus I, don't, I can't even name a single U.S. men's soccer player, <laughs> by the way. OK, versus the timed mile that <laughs> a U.S. men's national soccer team player could run, you know, that there are innate physical differences where it's like, well, he runs faster, so mm-hmm. he should be paid more. It doesn't matter if they won the World yeah. Cup. I don't know. Does, how much of this do you think comes back to the issue of women's bodies being perceived as less valuable than yeah. men's bodies?
1: It's, it's a huge issue, and you see it more in the WNBA conversation than you do in the women's soccer conversation just because like the way that women's soccer and men's soccer look are much more similar than the way that women's basketball and men's basketball tend to look. Although, like, I am constantly, like, sort of being like, eh, it's more similar than you think. But there's this sort of line of line of thinking that's like, well, women's basketball is this way. And, you know, if you appreciate it, you appreciate it. But if you don't, you don't. You know, right. just sort they of... They
0: can't dunk, so they don't right, deserve $10 million. Right. Which isn't
1: even true. They can. But, like, you know, it's just sort of... It's just there's this idea that there's a ceiling on how good it can be just because most women are not as tall, basically, or or as strong because like, you know, but again, it's like there's plenty of exceptions to that. But but it does come up that way. And they're like, well, I just don't think it's as interesting, you know, and that's sort of an argument for worth. But it's sort of. To me, it's so superficial because it kind of ignores everything that makes sports great, which is, like, good competition and, like, passionate play, you know what I mean? And incredible athleticism. It's a combination of all of these things. And, you know, it's obviously subjective. You know, you can like to watch one thing and not like to watch another thing, and nobody's going to ever force you to watch a woman play sports. But when it comes down to this pay question, it's like this is a tangible thing that, like, needs to be equal regardless because – because it's subjective. So if we're dealing with a, a subjective like issue of interest or like opinion, you know, the money aspect should remain constant because it's so it's not real. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's not like an objective truth. So
0: let's get back to this question of marketing a little bit, um, Natalie. You wrote a piece that was actually pretty optimistic mm-hmm. uh, about how you felt like this Women's World Cup was a bit of a turning point. But the way in which women's soccer and definitely women's sports in general are marketed, it's like sports for women, like Mm -hmm. sports that can inspire young girls Mm -hmm. uh, and teach them grit and hard work, (laughs) I guess. Whereas male sports are just sports for everyone.
3: I grew up in the 90s in Chicago when I started to love basketball. So when I watched my team play, I saw something that you never would see again and no one had ever seen before. Almost every night I watched and that's something you can't say about any product. Period. I mean, improvisation music is probably the closest thing you get to most beautiful basketball. I, ever I, think, played, music, but like,
4: I think music is a good analogy yeah. towards you look at sports, right? Because yeah, but the best music, right? Is no, an no. But but that's authority. like saying like, oh well, if someone is not the best musicians, like, should we even allow other people to play? Right? It's like that's not what it's about. Right? Like, if I don't have a daughter. If I had a daughter, I would want her to be able to watch women's sports of all kind and feel like there's something aspirational about that something that gets her out on the court or on the field or whatever that may be Um, something that creates sort of this this view of like I could be that right it's the same reason like I grew up like watching the Cosby show hot take sorry about that but um (laughs) But like, I was like, oh, I could be a black doctor or a black attorney, whatever, because I saw this stuff on TV and I saw these things. It it sort of expanded my my horizons in in a way. And I think women's sports of all kind do that for young girls Mm -hmm. and really young men, whether or not they they realize it.
3: Yeah, representation is important. That's right. Particularly when, And I think that's why access to having that, if you have a daughter or or a son or any fucking person wants to watch female sports. It needs to be accessible.
0: Talk to me a little bit about some of that coding and why that contributes to this larger problem of undervaluing female athletes.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's a kind of conventionally accepted framework that like this like empowerment thing, and it's used a lot by brands. But yeah, I think it's just like, it's been a distinction for so long that like women are just not as good at sports. So they needed to find another reason for you to want to watch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's like because it's like good for children or something, you know, <laughs> and it's like it's ultimately it's so minimizing of like what these women do and how hard they work, which is just as hard as the men, you know, and they've spent their whole lives also like just as dedicated and it's a way of undermining their intrinsic value you know <laughs> like by a way of undermining the fact that like it's just as much fun to watch the sports as you know it is to watch men's sports if if it's what you're into you know <laughs> like it doesn't have to be because of another reason and yeah it's definitely one of my pet peeves but the reason i wrote the piece was just because i've been covering women's sports for like for really not that long in the grand scheme of things a couple of years but it's such an uphill battle every step of the way to like get my editors to approve a piece, to be able to go to the games. And once you go to the games, there's nobody there. You know, not nobody. I mean, there's people. People like women's sports, but like it's you know compared to the, what the men get, it's next to nothing. And I went to see the women's soccer team in Paris, um, and to see forty. 40- 6,000 people in a stadium cheering for women playing sports I mean it was honestly it was emotional for me because I've like spent so much time like talking to women who play sports and they've never even conceived of getting a percentage of that you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so it's like to see that it's like okay no it is possible you know people can be enthusiastic about women playing sports just because they're playing sports right. it doesn't have to be tied to some other thing or like because it's the politically correct thing to do like no because they just want to watch soccer you know
0: isn't it un- unfortunate that we need to have the greatest of all time in this case this current incarnation of the team or in the case of tennis for example Serena Williams that we need people who are so extraordinary women who are so extraordinary in order for people to be like oh maybe we should talk (laughs) about paying them (laughs) equally like Serena has to be so good in order to shift the conversation around
1: what women can be paid it's completely unfair and like Just to see the way the dialogue is different around the women's national soccer team and the WNBA players. I mean, WNBA players, they were subject to like right wing falsified quotations about the kind of pay that they're looking Mm -hmm. for that circulated widely on the Internet. People actually went to the trouble of like making up quotes and Mm -hmm. tweeting them. And saying that not like, a lot to do from your parents' basement. Exactly, I guess. <laughs> exactly. No, but they're saying that like Brittany Griner says, "I want to make more than an NBA player or something." You know what I mean? And so to see, and that gets into this whole other slew of issues that is very complicated. Which is that most women's basketball players are black. Many sure. are queer, and so they push certain buttons in the way that the U.S. women's national team, who are mostly white, mm-hmm. many are queer, but it, they're kind of they conform to a lot more conventional standards of female beauty.
0: But, I mean, yeah, look at how they were treated also afterwards for celebrating the way that any men's team would have celebrated. And all of a sudden, people won't touch them because they're not ladies. They're not ladies drinking champagne and spraying silly string all over the place. Yeah,
2: I thought that the commentary, too, from the U.S.-Thailand game was, Mm -hmm. well, that was such an incredible game! I was watching yeah. it. It was and 13-0, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so
2: broke so many records. I st- I just started laughing after each goal. I really could not believe it. It, it was, was incredible. Insane. But the commentary was, I was just so thrown off. They, you know, I I can't remember if it was a man and a woman or two men, and they were just kept considering. Well, do you think that they should kind of pull back? Do you think that they should maybe like take it easy? Should you know? Obviously, they're winning. You and I have never. Yeah, especially in this stage, too, you know, at that stage in the tournament, it just there gender inequality and the way that women are portrayed and um, are thought of throughout sports, throughout society. It's so ingrained in the way that people talk and the way that we see these issues play out.
0: Well, there's something inherently a little bit genderqueer about a woman being excellent at sports Mm -hmm. because of the way that we code sports Mm -hmm. in our society, right? As having these very masculine traits of like, you know, physical dominance and not showing mercy to your enemy and all these things. And just
1: competitiveness. Yeah,
0: competitiveness, exactly, where we see these as not feminine traits. And so Mm -hmm. when you see someone who is dominant and competitive, it's like, oh, well, that's that's not yeah. how we like our women. Yeah, um, makes them
2: a little uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Lauren,
0: let's talk a little bit more about the pay equity landscape sure. in general. So we said that U.S. women's soccer players are probably making around 38 percent of what men make. Mm-hmm. What does it look like more broadly in America today?
2: Yes. Um, so great question. And, you know, those I've seen those numbers kind of move around. But in The United States, it's about 80%. um, So there's a 20% wage gap between men and women. So women earn 80% of what men make. This is for white women, black women, women of color, Latino women um, have far Longer to go before they're going to reach equal pay. I think women of color is 63%, and Latino women is 57%, which is just atrocious. And this is an issue, one of the most pernicious and perpetuating issues of gender based discrimination that we see in workplaces still today. It's blatant, it's intentional, specifically in this case. I mean, you have them conceding that this is the situation, and it, it is again, different states are making and cities are making a lot of legislative pushes and advocacy towards um, breaking down those barriers to success and equal opportunity and equal pay for women. Um, And that looks like pay transparency and banning employers from asking about an applicant or an employee's salary history, right? Right, Because this really negatively impacts women and people of color who historically have been underpaid for the same work that white people do and that men do. Yeah.
0: And, and how do you calculate that 80 cents on the dollar? Are we talking about um, apples to apples, like a male sociologist and a female sociologist? Or are we talking more like broadly about categories of, of work that we're, people perform?
2: We're talking about both. Um, you know, there's huge pay discrepancies in fields that are dominated by, you know, women's work, right? So fields and industries that are heavily um, populated by women or filled by women, these are some of the most underpaid positions throughout all of our occupations. Um, You know, that's why other legislative fixes, fixes like lifting the minimum wage is going to heavily impact these cases as well. But they'll, I mean, the numbers you, you know, you're comparing, similarly situated um, individuals in the workplaces, but you're you're comparing just women's overall earnings and the, the um, wealth that they're able to accumulate over their lifetime. Um, and the, the, this discrimination, you can already see the gap. It starts right after college. You know, before then, it's held about the same, but as soon as women, e- even though women are earning... Uh, more degrees than men and entering the workforce, you know, make up more than 50 percent of the workforce. these It's just there's no reason for it.
0: Right. I believe it was an article in The Atlantic that was talking about pay disparity uh, with the women's soccer team in particular, but it was talking about, again, sort of physical work, unless this was an article that you wrote, Natalie, in which case, correct me. It was talking about the way that we think about, again, physical labor and where we, um, for example, pay a sanitation worker because that person is using their body and it's Mm -hmm. manual and it's physical and it's unpleasant work, so they deserve to be compensated highly. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at somebody who is maybe a home health aide or a nurse who's also doing lifting, mm-hmm. also dealing with unpleasant substances and smells, and yet we value that work so much less because it's a traditionally female job as opposed to sanitation worker where it's a male job. So I imagine trying to find those w- ways to compare different types of labor that share things in common but have traditionally been gendered is challenging.
2: Yeah, and uh, and that's a great example. And we, you know, we receive calls. We, uh, Provide free legal services on a pro bono basis to mostly low-income and uh, low-wage workers. So the types of calls we're getting, you know, we get a, a lot of folks from the hospitality industry, restaurants, hotels, etc. And the comparison in those are tough, right? Because in you know the folks that are cleaning the rooms and such, this still is predominantly done by women. Whereas maybe the maintenance, you're kind of doing similar work. You have the same kind of obligations, same requirements. Um, same physical kind of nature to your job but women are paid less at a you know at a scalable level than men in the same kind of hotel industry or um restaurants.
3: Well then if you could go one on one with a WNBA player would you beat her? Fuck no. The women I played with they are dead eye shooters. Dead eye shooters. Dead-eye shooters. The women that have played in this and on the gyms that I played at, I, I would get run I, out the gym. I by think WNBA there's, stars. I think there's a lot of guys of at
4: so. parks and random gyms who think that if they went up, w, went up against a WNBA player, that they would beat them. And, they'd be made and fools that's, up. yeah, that's they're they they do not know what they're talking about. That guy probably needs to just be embarrassed in person before he'll understand, because uh, you can't you can't use evidence to change a fool's mind. It just doesn't happen, right?
3: Just to be t- totally real, like I still don't give my eyeballs or dollars to f- pro female basketball. So like I'm still I'm not like changing the 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 inequity of it at all.
0: Not that this matters, Natalie, but if the women's national team played the men's national team, <laughs> do
1: you think the women would win? That's always like the question, right? It, it doesn't like, matter. Put, it shouldn't matter. They yeah, should be paid the same matter. no matter what. But I just am curious. I you know, I don't know. I I think it's just – it's impossible to say really without watching. (laughs) I I don't think I can answer that question. But I can say that, like, men and women play against each other in most sports, like, in a casual way. And, I mean, I know most about basketball. That's the thing I've covered the most. And there it's, like, always a thing. Like, WNBA players are constantly confronted with, like, random guys who say – I could beat you one-on-one, right? Like, that's, like... Billie Jean
0: King all over again.
1: (laughs) Right, but actually, you know, and it's, like, they're really convinced. Like, guys think just because they go shoot hoops at the YMCA, like, they could beat a WNBA player. And the WNBA players are, like, I don't even, like, the fact that you think I should have to prove myself against you, you know, like, that's the sexism right there. You know, that I need to go up against Joe Schmo to prove that I can play basketball. You know, that is it. And I even... I talked to Jewel Lloyd who's a player on the Seattle Storm, and she plays with Sue Bird, Um, you know, obviously. Megan Rapinoe's girlfriend. Megan Rapinoe's Uh. girlfriend, but also Sue Bird, iconic basketball player. Yes, yes. And, like, she and Sue and, like, other members of the Storm will go to, like, a local gym and just shoot around, and, like, you know, mostly dudes are there. And guys will still be surprised when Sue Bird, multi-time gold medal winner, like, one of the best basketball players of all time, when she, like, hits a jump shot. You know what I mean? And it's just, like, this... It's literally That's, her job. It's to hit a jump her shot. Job. She is a professional. She's been doing this for decades. You know, and so yeah, to ask whether they would be, I don't know. You know, and I think I think it would be a good game. Right. That's what I think. You know, in my totally Sell like some
0: tickets. I mean, it's right. just crazy that we are what fifty years after Bobby Riggs and Billy Jean mm-hmm. King, and we're still having to deal with some jabroni challenging yeah. a professional female elite athlete. Because, like, what? She's just a girl.
1: Right. No, and that's and that's what it is. And I think it's, like, it's just my personal, like, pie in the sky thing is, like, I think sports are where we challenge gender norms the most. Actually, sort of going with what you're saying about, like, how kind of queer it, it can be just to succeed in sports generally because it challenges so many ideals of femininity, you know, conventionally accepted. So I think that this is where – the this is the frontier – and the ideal is to have men and women playing against each other. And that would probably look like at the highest level mostly men with a few women. That's that's just like when you're dealing with this sort of like core athleticism like question. But there's no – the sky's the limit, honestly. Like any woman – I believe that there are women who can do, you know, anything men can do. And, you know, the kind of innate physical differences are so variable. You know, you have women who look every kind of way. You have men who look every kind of way. You know, so sure. why – why not sort of let them play on that level of Well, and it's field.
0: especially interesting, too, in light of conversations we've been having about what makes a woman, what makes a man, exactly. which women can compete in women's sports. Exactly. And which the Caster
1: semania can- question. Exactly. It's, like, it's so complicated. Gender but it does, is a social construct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's like it does make for some really fascinating conversations. Right.
3: So. I absolutely think it should be equal pay for anything that's like a national team. Um and I think there should be bonuses for winning so that when our men stink up the joint don't make the World Cup they don't make as much as the women who just crush it like they always do, right? Cuz that that makes sense.
0: Let's close out with a question for you Lauren. How do you sue your employer and win? Like what advice are you <laughs> giving to the US Women's National Team?
2: Yeah. Um well I think they have a great legal team and they are uh seems like they're doing all the right things. Um they have just moved into mediation, so I think it's important that we all continue following this case. I think for any folks out there that have seen themselves in what we've seen, the portrayal of the US women's team in you know, at the rally on Wednesday and the ceremony, I think there was not, a person in that crowd that didn't, um, you know, maybe a woman in that crowd th- that didn't kind of feel connected to that and think about how this issue affects them. So I would empower those folks to look at their own workplaces, assess whether p- there are pay discrepancies that are going on there. I think it's also a great opportunity for male allies um, who hold the power in these situations and keep fighting. I'm so proud that they are at the forefront of this movement and have really become icons for this issue. and. Gender inequality or gender inequality, and and how we're going to eradicate that in
0: general. Same. I would encourage all women to internalize Megan <laughs> Rapinoe's words. <laughs> yes. I deserve this. I deserve this. Um, Natalie Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Us. That's the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to show me the money. You could also review 112BK on iTunes, and please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargie, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bagosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogesag, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post produced by Alexander Solo, edited by Mira Al Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham.